Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Uh, I, if you're visiting here, I'm not Henry Jones, I'm not the pastor of this church. Uh, Henry always likes me to say that for some reason, I'm not sure why. Um, but he graciously, ever so often, uh, gives me the uh, honor of stepping into the pulpit, and, and I love to do this. I wouldn't want to do it every Sunday, but I love to do it uh, occasionally, so I really appreciate that. Henry did ask me before we began, one of our associate pastors, Brother Bill Jenkins, is in Crestview, Florida, uh, doing a revival down there, and uh, Henry asked if we would... Uh, before we began here, if we would uh, would pray for him. So if you'd bow with me. Father, we thank you for our pastor, associate pastor, Brother Bill Jenkins, and his evangelistic ministry. I thank you for a church that gives him the freedom to go out from here, to expand our ministry out into other areas. What a wonderful thing that that is. And I pray for him this morning. I pray, God, that you would give him the words to speak. But more than that, I pray for the Spirit of God to be in that church in Crestview, Florida. Sovereign God of the universe, whose arm is not shortened, I pray this morning that there in that church in Crestview, Florida, that someone will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that this morning, Father, that your grace, which is so great, will be manifested in that church, that there will be one more person or more people that will come to know your Son. There will be one more person that will be a worshiper of your Son. One more person that will be, be, be set up as a trophy of your son. Father, I ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin this morning, if you, like I said, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you can just open to that and just hold your place there for just a second. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Are you a good person? Are you a good person? I don't know how many of y'all recognize what's going on in our country right now, but there are, our country is as divided right now as I've ever seen it. Now, there's always been some level of divisions in America. Uh, there's political divisions between Democrat and Republican. There's always been some level of, of racial divide between black and white. There's always been some level of gender divide between men and women, economic divisions between rich and poor. But there's something going on right now that I just can't quite put my finger on. The, the divisions are worse than they've ever been. They, they seem to be more harsher than they've ever been. They seem to be more widespread than they've, than they've ever been. And I've really been thinking about this a lot. And, and this came up a few weeks ago. I've got a friend of mine who I really admire. Uh, this person is not a believer, though, but I like them. They're, they're, a, they're a really nice person. They're a smart person. And I even admire them. But when it comes to certain issues, they are 180 degrees from me on the spectrum. 
I seem to see it one way, and they see it completely differently. And I really began to think about that. Well, how, how can that be? What, what is causing somebody who's a smart guy, an educated guy, raised very similar to the way that I was raised, but yet we come to these issues and, and we seem to be on opposite ends of the spectrum? While I was thinking about that, I read an article in the New York Times, and in that article there was an interview with a man by the name of J.C. Watts. Now, for those of you that are football fans, you'll know that J.C. Watts was a quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners in the late 70s. Eventually went on to become a Baptist pastor and then uh, was even elected to the, uh, to the U.S. Congress. And in this article, they were asking him about the divisions in this, in this country. And this is uh, one of the things that he said is this. He said, what's dividing us is not really politics or race or gender or economics. What's dividing us is a fundamentally different way of seeing the world. In other words, two people can come together at an issue and they just see it completely differently. And that kind of that piqued my interest. So I went on and began to read and, and he said this. He said, on one side, you have people who really believe that, that fundamentally human beings are bad. That, in other words, we are born bad and we have to be taught to be good. On the other side of the spectrum, you have a group who they think human beings are basically good. That we are born good and we do bad things because of circumstances beyond our control. Maybe we were, for example, we were brought up by abusive parents or, or maybe we were born into poverty. Everybody with me, that is two completely different ways of looking at the world. For example, a man might commit a crime, and one group can say, yeah, see, he's a bad man, and he has to pay the consequences for his actions, and, and there, he needs to pay for that. The other group would look at that man and say, he's not a bad man, he's really a good man at heart, but yet his circumstances caused him to do this, and instead of being punished, we need to, we need to reform him we need, to, we need to educate him. Now, reading that article was sort of an epiphany for me. It, it really made me realize what was kind of going on with my friend that I, that I was talking about earlier, is, it, is our, our differences aren't so much political or racial or economic or gender-based. Those are just kind of peripheral. At fundamentally, down deep, we have two different ways of viewing the world. Now... Our problem is that we have different worldviews. I want to give you an example of this if I can to maybe help you. Let's say two people are driving along in a car. And in the trunk of that car is a bomb. And it's a real bomb and it's armed and it's going to go off at any time. And the passenger, he really believes there's a bomb in the trunk. In fact, he knows there's a, a bomb in the trunk. And he's frantically trying to convince the driver to pull over so they can bail out and be saved. The driver, on the other hand, thinks the passenger is an idiot. He says, he thinks, who in the world would put a bomb in my car? I don't have any enemies. Nobody would, would do that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So they're, they're arguing back and forth. The passenger's trying to get him to pull over. The driver thinks the passenger is crazy, and they're going back and forth. And during this time, the, there's an APB goes out, that there's a, cert, a car with a certain model or make. It's got a bomb in the trunk. And so the highway patrol is looking for this car and eventually they find the car and one of the high patrolmen comes up behind it with the lights flashing the PA going saying hey you need to pull over pull over now I want you to think real quickly about the two men in the car the passenger looks back and he sees those blue lights 
And to him, the blue lights mean salvation. This guy's going to pull us over and we're going to get out of here and we're going to be saved. But the driver sees the blue lights and he thinks, they've come to punish me. He sees the blue lights as a threat. Now think about that situation. It's the two guys in the same car, in the same situation, but they see things completely differently. Why? What makes the difference? See, the difference is one knows the truth and one doesn't. And knowing the truth changes everything. So I ask you again the question this morning, are you a good person? How do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as a good, as a good person? Now, to be honest, I don't even really have to ask the question because I already know what your answer is. Let me tell you, I won't make a blanket statement here, but I can tell you that 99.9% .9 of human beings think they're a good person. You ever seen a, a guy on TV, you just arrested him for, for mass murder, and he'd say, well, I'm a good person, right? I mean, I, it's like, it doesn't matter what you do, people think they're a good person. In fact, human beings have these two innate things that they can do, that they think about themselves, and I don't know how this is, but it's just true. Number one, and, and, and we won't admit this because it it's not right to admit it, but, it, but pretty much every one of us out here thinks we're better than the next person. We think we're more honest. We think we're kinder. We think we're more realistic. We think we're more patient than that guy. And we don't admit that because you're not supposed to say that, right? But every one of you know it's true. I can see it on your faces right now. We just think we're better than the next guy. I don't know. I think part of it is because we are who we are and we got to live with us for the next... 50 years, right? So we, you got to have a good view of yourself, and we all do. But here's the other thing. We would all admit that we mess up. We all, we say it all the time, I'm not perfect, right? We all agree with that. But here's the second thing we do as human beings. Not only do we think we're better than the next person, when we mess up, we are so quick to make accommodations for ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? Let me give you three examples here. Have you ever noticed that we forgive ourselves much faster than we forgive others? Let me say that again. We forgive ourselves way quicker than we forgive others. When, when we do mess up and somebody gets in our face and challenges us on our behavior, we, we're much better excusing ourselves than we are the next guy. You see, he should have known better. Now me, I had good intentions. Right? Or how about this third one? We spot injustices to ourselves far faster than we spot our injustices to others. We spot injustices that people do to us way quicker than we spot what we do to others. Now twice already, I've asked you this question, are you a good person? And as I said, I don't really have to ask the question, but here's the other thing I want you to see this morning. You really cannot answer that question realistically. See, every one of you here are biased towards yourself. You, you can't really make or give a realistic answer because you don't see yourself realistically. So if we really want to answer that question this morning, am I a good person? If I can't answer it myself, where am I going to find the answer? Well, I'm going to tell you where you're going to find the answer. It's right here. Amen. You're not going to find it. Dr. Phil ain't going to be able to answer it for you because Dr. Phil is a human being and he's biased. 
You're not going to find it on the answer on a television show. You're not going to find it in a book. You're not going to find it on a radio program. You're not going to find it by any scientific study. I read a study the other day that um, some scientists did a, uh, a study with real small children and, and some kind of with puppets. And they would act out these different things with puppets for very small children that couldn't even talk yet. And they came out of that with this, uh, this decided that children are inherently good. And I immediately thought, well, I don't know what nursery they've been in, but it wasn't the one, they wasn't doing that study here at, at River of Life. Um, I, I volunteer, I've got a granddaughter, so I decided a while back that I would volunteer in the nursery. And I don't know if I'm a nursery worker or a referee. I can't quite figure that out uh, while I'm in there. But see, the fact is, we can all, if, if we really want to know the truth, like the men in that car, do you really want to know the truth? You, you're too biased to really to know it about yourself, you have to turn to the Word of God. And when we turn to the Word of God, I'll tell you that the Bible answers this question very, very clearly. And, and, and there are several passages. We're going to pick one that are not very flattering. Let's turn, if, if we will, to our passage this morning, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, which gives us a very vivid description of human beings. And it is not a flattering one. Let me read the all, all, three passage, uh, all three verses. And it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you want, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that... Those verses say a lot. I want to pick out three phrases this morning and, and talk about them. The first one is found in verse 1. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. The first truth that the Bible tells about you and about me is that we are in the morgue, not the doghouse. You see, a lot of people understand that we sin. But the problem is, is we see ourselves as being in the doghouse with God. It's kind of like when you get in the doghouse with your wife, right? You, you've messed up and, and all of a sudden there's kind of a breach in the relationship. And so you're, we say we're in the doghouse. And so then you, you, know, you say you're sorry and you beg and plead and buy things. And then, and then finally, Kathy, I mean your wife, lets you, she restores you back to the right place, right? Well, that's kind of how we see ourselves with God, that we've sinned, we've messed up, and now we're in God's doghouse, and we need forgiveness to get out of the doghouse. But guys, that's not the picture the Bible says at all. The Bible says you're not in the doghouse, you're in the morgue. You see, if you're in the doghouse, you can beg and plead. You can whimper and say how sorry you are. You can make resolutions that you're going to do better. But what are you going to do if you're in the morgue? You see, it's even, in fact, it's even worse than that. Listen to this. The idea of being spiritually dead implies that you once had life. But in our case, we've never had any life at all, spiritually speaking. Psalms 51.5, I love how the New Living Translation says this, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You see, I believe that life begins at conception, as I hope you do as well. But I can tell you, the Bible says from the moment you were conceived in the womb, from the moment those cells began to divide, you were a sinner. 
See, we've said this all the time. You don't, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You sin because that's who you are. That's how you're born. That's your, that's your very nature. And the psalmist David says, you, you were that the moment you were conceived. You see, I bring all this up. Our condition before God is so bad that we don't just need a Savior to forgive us. We need a Savior to recreate us. See, that's why Jesus said in John 3, 7, you've got to be born again. There's no spiritual life in you at all. There's nothing to raise up. There's nothing to bring back to life. There never was any life in you. So Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. You've got to be recreated. There's nothing there to work with. That's how bad it is. I stand here this morning and I'm physically alive. That means I can talk to you, I can share with you, I can love you. But see, guys, when you're spiritually dead, you can't talk to God, you can't communicate with God, you can't share with God, you can't love God. There's nothing there. You are in the morgue. It is a dire situation as the Bible describes our state as human beings. The second phrase is found in verse 2. Let me read verses 1 through 2. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And the phrase I want to pick out of there is sons of disobedience. This is another way of saying that disobedience is in your genes. Rebellion runs in your family. We may be spiritually dead, but this flesh is alive and well and in full-out rebellion against God. Now, I want to stop right here because I've, I've heard this question a thousand times. Well, Derek, that can't be right. You're saying that everybody is born in rebellion against God, that, that they're born with this bad nature. But that can't be right because I know people who don't know Jesus and they do good things, and you're absolutely right. I know unbelievers who do good things. I know people that don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in God, and they love their family. They pay their taxes. They're faithful to their wives. Some of them uh, may have enough money to build hospitals. They volunteer at the schools. They, they visit the sick. They feed the hungry. And they're not believers at all. How can that be? And you see, we look at those people and say, that's a good man. That's a good woman because we see the outside things. See, we think they're good people. But see, the question is not, how do I see them? The question is, what does God say? Romans 3, 10-11 says this, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Romans 8 says this, Those who are in the flesh, listen to this, cannot please God. If you are in the flesh, that means if you are spiritually dead, if you are an unbeliever, you cannot please God no matter what you do. Now, listen, I, have, I remember asking myself that question. How can that be? If the Word of God says that we are to, to feed the hungry, if, if, if we are to clothe the naked, if it says we are to help the poor, it seems to me that if you're doing those things, that should be pleasing to God. But the Bible says if you're an unbeliever, that doesn't please God at all. Why? I, I want to know why. Well, the Bible answers that for us. Romans 14, 23 says this, 
Actually, let's, let me give you Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, listen to me, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In John chapter 6, verses 28 through 29, some men come to Jesus and they ask Him, they said, Lord, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one who He sent. You see, let me tell you, folks, God's definition of good doesn't even start until you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Without faith, without faith in Jesus Christ, it is impossible for you to please God. There is absolutely nothing you can do. Nothing. Um, Romans 14, 23 says this, Whatever is not from faith is sin. Man, what a, what a statement. Whatever is not being done out of faith, generated from faith, he says it's just sin. You see, um, you're right. Unbelievers do good things. They love their family. They're faithful to their wives. They pay their taxes. They don't commit crimes. They do all these things. They might even help people. And we say they're good. But you see, the Bible says they're doing all those things for the wrong reasons. They're doing it maybe because they want a pat on the back. Maybe they're doing it because that's the way they were raised. Maybe they're doing it because they want to put it on a resume. They want their name on a plaque. Maybe they're doing it for a lot of reasons, but I can tell you why they're not doing it. They're not doing it to please God, and they're not doing it to glorify Him. And God says, if that's not why you're doing it, I, I completely disregard all of that. It means absolutely nothing to me. That's why Isaiah 64, 6 says this, We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. All of your righteousness, all of your good works, all the stuff you think you're doing, he says it's like filthy rags. Listen, you can go out in this world and find the very best man or woman you can find, the most moral, the most good, the best person you can find, and apart from Jesus Christ, it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. I've told this story before. It's a short one, but it's got a good point. Three men decide they're going to swim from Panama City to Key West. We'll call them Mr. Drunk, Mr. Average, and Mr. Iron Man. Mr. Drunk jumps in the water, swims 10 yards, and drowns. Mr. Average jumps in the water. He makes it about a half a mile, drowns. Mr. Iron Man, who's been doing all these triathlons and can swim, he jumps in, he's been training and he's fit and all that. He jumps in, swims 25 miles and drowns. What's the point? Don't none of them make it. And none of them make it. Guys, apart from Jesus Christ, there's no amount of good works in this world that will ever get you into heaven. No way, no how. The third point we find, the third description of humans found in Ephesians 2, 3, Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, by nature, people reject the knowledge of God. By nature, they rebel against Him. By nature, they refuse the gospel. Even when they do good things, they're doing it because I want to do it. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody's going to control my life. I decide when I do what I do and when I do it. See, they're in rebellion against God, even though we may look at them and say they're good people. And because of this, the Scripture clearly teaches the wrath of God will be poured out on people like that. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, 1 
says they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. I began this message with a question. Are you a good person? And I can already tell you, the majority of you are going to say, yeah, I think I am a good person. But here's what I want you to see. The Bible says you're not good enough. You're just not good enough. Mark 10, 17 through 18, Jesus is setting out on a journey. A man runs up and kneels before him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. In Romans 3.23 it says this, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. To get into heaven, God has a bar. He has a standard. And you know what that standard is? Perfection. Perfection. Anybody here meet that? I don't. So what are we going to do about it? In fact, let me ask you, I'll ask you this. You may say, Derek, this is all interesting. And, and you've made me feel a little bit bad about myself. But what's the point of all this? Here's my point. I got two points this morning. I've got a coworker in Vancouver, British Columbia. The company I work for has got offices all over the world. And he was diagnosed about two years ago with pancreatic cancer. And, and they operated on him. And then they, they did chemotherapy. And they thought they had it all. And he went in about a month ago for a checkup. And they found that it was in his lymph nodes. And it's inoperable. And, uh, and he's going to die. He's got a few weeks to live. And a co-worker of mine, uh, I don't know this man very well, only by name, but she knows him. She knows him very well, and she's a Christian. And she was talking to him the other day, and she began to talk to him about eternity, about what was going to happen to him after he died. And this is, I wrote down what he said. He says, I believe in a God. I believe in a God. And I believe that I've been a good person. And I believe if there's a heaven that this God is going to weigh the good and the bad. And I've been a pretty good person. I haven't really hurt anybody. I've minded my own business. I've done the best I can. I believe that, that if there is a God and there is a heaven, that that God will, will weigh the good and the bad. And if there's a heaven, He'll let me in. Folks, I want to tell you this morning, that's a lie. That's a lie. And the reason I bring this up today is because there's somebody in this room that believes that same lie. There's somebody in this room right now, you know you're not right with God. You know it. And, and when you think about it, you pray and hope that He'll let you in because you've been a good person. You, you're staking everything on that. Folks, and I'm telling you, that's a lie. And the other reason I'm bringing this up, because there are some of you here that are Christians, and, I, and Christians, I want you to listen to me very closely. You've got friends. You've got family. You've got co-workers that believe that same lie, and you're not saying anything to them. And, and in your mind, you kind of almost hope the same thing. I, I don't want them to go to hell. I hope they get in, but you don't say anything. That is a lie. There is no one good other than God. We need the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ or else we're not going anywhere. Well, we're going somewhere, but it ain't where we want to go. In Ephesians 5, 6, later in the same letter, Paul says this, listen to me, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes 
upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one... If you're here today, folks, listen to me. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, and you're just hoping and praying that somehow, some way, if you die, He'll let you in, that is not going to happen. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Do not believe it. Do not leave this place without getting your life right before God. And I'm going to tell you, Christians, if you've got friends and family and co-workers, and, you're, and you know they're in that situation, they're, they're a good person from the world standards, but you know they don't know Jesus, please. Pastor Henry said it a few weeks ago, say something, say something. This past Monday night, I stood at the bedside of Kathy's father, and, and some of you knew him, Myers Carter, some of you maybe didn't, and we stood around his bedside, all of his, friend, his family were there, his kids were there, his grandkids were there, and we watched him take his last breath. And by every standard that this world has, he was a good man. He was a good man. I, I don't know if many of you know this, years ago, when Kathy and I, we first got married, we didn't have any children yet, we would volunteer at the nursing home. And every Sunday we would go to the nursing home and we would, we would wheel those patients down to the chapel and then I would do a, a little service, not very well. I, I was probably 20, 21, 22 years old. I wasn't doing a very good job. But we would do a little sermon, sing some songs, and we were done, we would, we would wheel them back to their, to their rooms. And then when our, when our oldest son, Josh, came along, we just couldn't do it anymore. And Kathy's daddy stepped in and took over that ministry and he did that for 29 years. Can you imagine? 29 years. Every Sunday morning, he was down at that nursing home, wheeling those people from their rooms down to the chapel. He would preach to them. He would pray for, him, for them. He would minister to them. And when he was done, he'd move them back. For 29 years. That man visited more sick people, went to more funerals, did, did more of that stuff than anybody else I've ever... He was the most generous man that I've ever known. The other day, we were at the funeral home, and somebody made this statement. They said, if Myers Carter doesn't get in, nobody will. And I understood why they said that, because when they looked at him, they saw a good man with a lot of, with a lot of good works. And let me tell you, today, I believe he's in heaven. In fact, I know he's in heaven, but here's my point. He's not in heaven because he spent 29 years at the nursing home. He, he's not in heaven because he was faithful to his wife for 56 years. He's not in heaven. Some of you men, listen to me. You love your children. You love your family. You're a great father. He was all those things, but he's not in heaven because of that. He's not in heaven because of any of those good works. He's in heaven for one reason and one reason only. That's because he knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's it. In fact, when I spoke at the funeral on, on Friday, I made this statement. He didn't do the good works so that he could come to know Jesus. He did those works because he already knew Jesus. See, there's some of you here today, and you don't know him. And you are hoping and praying with everything you've got that your good works will be enough. And I'll tell you again, that is a lie. Your good works will never be enough. You have to know him as your Lord and as your Savior. As good as Myers was, he was a good man, a godly man. He knew that he needed a Savior. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. 
Here's the good news. Romans 5.8 says that God showed His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were God's enemies, even when we were estranged or divorced from God, even when we were spiritually dead and we had no way to communicate with Him, to share with Him, to love Him, Jesus died for you, just like He did for me. If you're here this morning and you don't know Him, Romans 10.9 says this, If you'll just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, not the teacher Jesus, not Jesus the good man, but the Lord Jesus, if you'll confess Him as your Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me tell you, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Peter, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I want to thank you in front of all these people for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.